Uh, they're not quite enough for everybody. So just make sure there's probably one between maybe four of you, something like that. So those ladies there, you're going to need to share them out a little bit. Just between four or so, thereabouts. If you run out, absolutely fine. I know you're going to immediately start reading what you've got in front of you, so bear with me. I want to say one or two things, and then we'll come to, to them. But I, I understand if you can't resist. I want to read to you just one or two lines from the other reading that was said today that Ray had actually prepared, and she, she loves this reading, and I just thought I would read one or two lines um, for her and for all of you. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It goes on, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Sorry, this is Romans 10, verses 8 to 18. And then these beautiful lines. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So as I just wanted to remind you that we are today keeping what we call Mission Sunday. And let me start with a, a silly little story. And as I say, I, I, I can't tell you that it's absolutely true, but here we go. Uh, it's a story about a grocery store owner in England who decided that he had to ban customers from coming into his store. He said that he was forced to take such drastic action because of people's bad manners. Firstly, he banned smoking, uh, then crude language, then baby prams, then pets, and finally he banned customers themselves. Shoppers must now look through the window, spot the items that they want, and then ring a bell to be served through a small hatch in the door. Church would be quite good like that, wouldn't it? The owner admitted, I have lost business, but I cannot say how much, but I am a man of principles, and I stand by my decision. Now, it's a silly story, but I suspect that that storekeeper if he was to reflect honestly, would be, would be able to tell you that he had lost sight of his mission. That as a storekeeper, his, his whole existence is about meeting people's needs, about selling things to them. But he had lost his mission because he was so full of rules and regulations and various other things that he wanted to impose. On this Mission Sunday, I guess my question is, is, uh, is to all of us whether we maybe sometimes, as a church, are a little bit like that storekeeper. That in our, our readiness to honor our many traditions and to find ways of, of comforting ourselves and meeting our own particular needs, maybe sometimes, maybe just sometimes, we lose sight of our real purpose as a church. We lose sight of our mission. Today is the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost. This year has absolutely flown. I don't know about for you, but certainly for me. Uh, our church year ends next week. And we always end our church year by remembering the reign of Christ. It's the pinnacle. It's the climax of the year in many ways. We've witnessed Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. 
We've witnessed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We've seen stories from Scripture, the growth of the church. And now, at the end of the year, we finally put it all together, and we go, the only thing that makes sense of all of this is the knowledge that Jesus reigns, that He's King, and He reigns. So why is it that on the penultimate Sunday of the church year, we choose to remember the mission of the church? Why is it important for us to be reminded? I want you to have a look at the the little piece of paper that maybe you or your neighbor has, because I want us to ask a question about what mission is. And I want to have a little bit of interactive time if we we can do that. Not everybody's going to have a chance to speak. But just read the little quotes that you have. They all come from people much wiser than than myself. Uh, Read the quote to the little group around you. There may be three or four of you, I guess. Look over each other's shoulders. Read the quote closest to you. And then just spend literally 30 seconds in reflecting on what what that reading might mean to you. Whether it's something that you disagree with, you're welcome to do that, or different angle, or maybe you absolutely endorse what is on the piece of paper. You've got got about 30 seconds, so get reading. You may want to read it out loud to the person, people around you. That might be helpful. I can see those who are opting out. That's okay. That's fine. Have a quick chat. I can see the, the hardened Anglicans that are resisting any kind of discussion. Anybody want to respond? I'm not going to force this at all. Um, Anybody want to call out uh, something about what mission means to them? Okay. Who's got number six? Each of them is numbered. Who's got number six? Would you like to read out as loudly as you possibly can the words from number six? There is a microphone there if you want it. When the church is in mission, it is the true church. The church itself is not only a product of that mission, but is obligated and destined to extend, to extend it by whatever means possible. The mission of God flows directly through every believer and every community of faith that adheres to Jesus. To abstract this is to block God's purposes, and, and through his people. Thank you, Anne. Thank you. Any thoughts on that? I'm going to pull, pull teeth. But in that, in that definition, 
When the church is in mission, it is the true church. Do you understand the opposite of that? If the church is not in mission, what is it? It's a club. It's a club. What about in that same statement? The mission of God flows directly through every believer and every community of faith that adheres to Jesus. Maybe you grew up in an era where we thought about mission as being something that other people did. Usually it was the little men with the pith helmets and the, and the little khaki safari suits. And some of those missionaries would end up in a pot, perhaps. <laughs> but, but whatever it was, that mission took place out there. You know, and maybe we put money into the collection to, to sponsor mission. But mission was for the professionals, those who were called to journey through the jungle or whatever it was. This definition seems to challenge that idea, not so. That the mission of God flows directly through every believer and every community of faith. That means the mission of God flows through you. Who's got um, number seven? We're not going to go through all 743. Thank you, Bill. It is, not, okay, okay. it is not the local church that will change the world. It is Jesus. Attends on Sundays does not transform lives. Jesus within their hearts is what changes people. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. Again, that maybe challenges where some of us have, have been. Maybe, maybe, we've, maybe we've changed. But there was this idea that as long as we brought people to church, that was okay. And of course, it's a great step. But church, as wonderful a church as this is, if we're relying on the church to transform people, it's not going to happen. Or the, the transformation will be superficial. What we do in mission is to bring people to Christ. We introduce them to Christ. We help them to be dependent on Christ, not on us, not on dog collars, not on a building, not on a place, but on Jesus Christ himself, and that is our mission. Let me read maybe one more. Christ's strategy is to scatter his people throughout the world between Sundays penetrating society's structures from within. They are the true ministers of Jesus Christ in the world. Rightly understood, every believer is in full-time service for Jesus Christ. That moment, that movement, sorry, is a lay movement, and the church's impact is the aggregate of all the laity's impact as they carry out their common tasks between Sundays. Emphasize the point that's already been made. When you leave this, these, uh, these walls, this wonderful place, this fantastic gathering that it is, this amazing place where we worship and we support each other, the church leaves the building, that you become a missionary to the world. Christ's mission rests on your shoulders. But far from it being a burden... I hope that as we go on, I hope that you will see it as being a delight, that it, will be, that it is part of who you have been created to be, that without 
continuing the mission of Christ in your life, you are less than what you were created to be. That God equips you, that by His Spirit, He gives you all that you need to be His church in the world. Let me define the mission in these words. It is in the very being of God that the basis for the missionary enterprise is found. God is ascending God with a desire to see humankind and creation reconciled, redeemed, healed. The missional church then is a sent church. It is a going church, a movement of God through his people sent to bring healing to a broken world. The essence of any church is its mission. The essence of God's mission is extravagant love, which Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ communicated and displayed for us on the cross. Extravagant love. We have the beautiful reading from Isaiah 49. There are so many different ways of tackling the subject of, of mission. And I thought this year, why not let's use a, a passage from the, from the Old Testament to remind us that mission is not something that suddenly uh, arrived upon the scene with the New Testament or with Jesus, but that mission is at the very heart of who God is, and that mission is woven through the pages of our scriptures from beginning to end. Mission is not just one of the many jobs that the church does. It's the reason that the church exists. There's a, a hesitation that I have in, in talking about mission on this, on this one day because I don't want you to think for a second that having ticked the box that suddenly we've done mission and next week we can do something else. Mission is a theme that runs through everything that we do, or it should. And nowhere is this seen more clearly than in our passage from the 49th chapter of the book of Isaiah. It has one of the most important statements in the whole of Scripture on the subject of mission. Listen to these words again from Isaiah 49, verse 6. The Lord says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the nations, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So to, to make my point again, in that beautiful passage, uh, let me give you the context again of that uh, Isaiah passage. It's a passage written at a time when the people of Israel were in exile. They were preparing, in fact, to, to, re to return to, to Israel and to Jerusalem. And comes this passage from the prophet Isaiah, who reminds the, the people in the midst of their, of their circumstances, unpleasant circumstances, that they are called and that they have a purpose and a plan for their lives. It seems as though the prophet speaks directly to the people of Israel. And there's a line that says, he uh, seems as though he, he person personifies Israel. He says, um, and the Lord said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So the message of mission as it begins in Scripture, is first and foremost entrusted to Israel, to the people of Israel. But in this very passage, we see it's quite difficult to interpret because 
first the words seem to be addressed directly to, a, a, to the people of Israel, and then it becomes singular. It becomes addressed to a person, a servant. As we read other passages from, from Isaiah, there are several servant passages, and we begin to realize that, in fact, what Isaiah is talking about is prophetically somebody who will arise out of Israel, who will be the supreme servant, the supreme suffering servant. So out of Israel will come somebody who ultimately will be the true light that will shine God's glory to the ends of the earth. And as we read this passage with our Christian eyes, we realize that these are prophetic words speaking of Jesus Christ himself. And then there's a third tense, a third sense in which we read it and these same words, and they are spoken or written by Paul. And he writes in Acts chapter 13, verse 47, quoting the very same passage. For this is what the Lord has commanded us, says Paul. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul quotes from Isaiah, but he changes the wording slightly. Because what he's done is he's, he's in, uh, in Antioch, and he's been rejected by the Jews. And so he begins to preach and teach to the Gentiles. And he changes the wording as he quotes from Isaiah. And he says, the Lord has commanded us, not a single person, not Jesus Christ, not the people of Israel. He has entrusted to us. That's Paul and his companions. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you, plural, says God, may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The mission that has been entrusted to Israel and then has been entrusted to Jesus supremely has been handed on to you and to me and to the church through the, throughout the ages. And so we are the missionaries. But what is it that has really been entrusted to us when we're called to take the light to the ends of the earth, to be witnesses to the nations? What is it that God is entrusting to us? What is the message of the mission? I want to quote again from Isaiah 49 verse 6. God says, it is too small a thing to entrust simply the gathering of the tribes of Israel, of witnessing simply to the people of, of, uh, of my promised, my covenant community. It's too small a thing. No. You know, we say to each other, we know that nothing is too great for God. But have you ever reflected on the fact that some things are too small for God? And chief among those things would be for God to limit His grace to just one people or one nation. Such an act would not be worthy of God. It would belittle Him. It would turn the almighty God of the universe into just another tribal deity. He is not an ethnic God. He is not a territorial Lord. He is the God of all, the sovereign Savior of the universe. It is too small a thing for you to be a witness just to one people. 
No, I send you to the ends of the earth to bring glory to my name, says God. It's not to say that God doesn't have a special covenant relationship with Israel, but that is too small a thing. His plans are for the entire universe, for all that he has created. And so we have a precious message, a powerful message, a message of God's love and a message of God's glory that is intended for every single human being, all of creation, in fact, has been entrusted to us. Let me, let me say one thing. I'm going to wrap up quite quickly, I hope. But I want to say that when we acknowledge the fact that for us as the church, we are all about mission, there is a danger. There's a danger that we become so obsessed and fixated with the doings, with going out and being witnesses, of, uh, of being involved in social justice and social action, of our goal being to get as many people inside these walls as possible. We can become so busy with the doing that there are dangers that we sometimes forget who we are and who we are called to be. God's church falters from exhaustion because Christians sometimes erroneously think that God has given them exclusively a mission to perform in the world. But the truth is, rather, that the God of mission has given his church to the world. It's not the church of God that has a mission in the world, but the God of mission who has a church in the world. The church's involvement in mission is its privileged participation in the actions of the triune God. You see, that lifts from us the burdens and the responsibilities. Our call is simply to be the church, to be the church that God has shaped us to be, and not to forget it, who we are, and our actions flow naturally out of the love that we, that we, are, that we receive from our God. I want to remind you very quickly from that beautiful passage, a little different section from Isaiah from right at the very beginning. Let me read, it, let me read the, the lines to you because you've probably forgotten. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polish, polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant in whom I will display my splendor. You see, if we are in any doubt about whether we are called to be people of action or that we are called to be people who know who we are, I think the answer is that we're called to know who we are. That mission begins in relationship. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. Uh, I love um, one of the passages um, from Mark's gospel. Mark says everything very very quickly and in, in a, as a, a um, kind of a, a short way as possible. And so Mark chapter 3, verse 13, we can quite often overlook this. It's a calling of the disciples. And uh, Mark writes this, Jesus went up on the mountain and summons those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And if you're like me, if you've read that, those lines from Mark, your mind is already on the idea of driving out demons and preaching. 
And you're going, my goodness, what an amazing power, authority that has been given to me and to the church to preach and to drive out demons. That's amazing. Are we doing that? I wonder. And we skip over the maybe even the more important aspects of that line. Jesus summons those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named as apostles to be with him. And then he sends them out. Our first call, the foundation for mission, is to understand that we are called, that we are set aside, that God knows us, that God loves us, that he knows your name, as I reminded you earlier. And then mission is about equipping. The passage says, He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. I wonder what that brings to mind for you. What does it mean to have a mouth that is like a sharpened sword? We who know the rest of our scriptures know that so often the word of God is, is, is likened to a sword, a double-edged sword. We know that the Holy Spirit sometimes is like a sword. And the reminder to us, if we, need, if we seek to be missional, if we seek to be missionaries the way in which we believe that we're called, then we need to be taking the time to allow our swords to be sharpened. For me, that means that you need to be finding the time and the place for you to get to know the Word of God. How many of us carry our swords in their scabbards? Maybe our swords are blunt. Maybe we have no idea where that quote came from. Maybe we have no awareness of the desire of the Spirit to shape us, to sharpen us. In this coming year, in the year 2020, I want us to be, again, looking with all seriousness at, at our home groups. It's an ongoing thing that we, we want to make our home groups as wonderful and as attractive places, places where people can come together and sharpen each other as they gather together around Scripture and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So our swords are sharpened. We become effective for God as we know His Word. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me, says the servant. It's a beautiful image. And maybe as we extend the idea of, a, of us being swords, the idea that God holds us in his hand, that the shadow of his hand is over the sword that is at his side. He made me into a polished arrow. Mission is about preparation. How is it that we are made straight and polished and sharp as arrows? It's a slightly different image, no longer the sword. Now we are encouraged to think of ourselves as arrows. An arrow is effective for only one reason, that it goes straight, that it goes through the air and it hits the target. An arrow that is wobbly, an arrow that is not straight, an arrow that is blunt, has very little purpose. How do we ensure that we are straight? I want to suggest to you that for us as the church, we are called to a righteous lifestyle. By ensuring that we are right with God, by ensuring that our sins are dealt with, 
we become those arrows that when God chooses to draw us from his, his what's his name, and to, that, and to fire us, that we will find our mark, that we are sharp and straight. Mission is about God's timing, and our call is to wait in readiness. And there it is. He conceals us in his quiver. I love the, the imagery because a quiver is a place where we gather together. The arrows are stored together. It is an image of the church, but it's, a, it's an image of, of submission to God, of a willingness to wait in storage to the right moment. We don't decide where the arrow is going. We are ready as the arrows to be fired when the, the bowman, when God decides that the target is right. As the church, our call is to be prepared, is to be shaping each other in the power of the Spirit and the power of the Word, and then to wait ready in support of each other, waiting for God's timing. The year 2020 lies ahead, and the, the image of 2020 being, uh, you know, that perfect vision. I want us, as we end this church year, and as we begin to prepare again for Christmas, and as the story begins all over again, I want this coming year for us to, to become more aware of the targets that God is placing around us. The moment comes when God chooses to, to release us and to send us on our way. But I think our role is to go out into the community as missionaries, to be aware with kind of God's heart of the need out there for us to be ready and preparing ourselves from the moment. And it might be that you alone are the only person as you journey across, not necessarily the seas, but as you walk across the road to a neighbor's home, as you cross the road to, to see somebody who's down and out, as you visit whatever it may be, the moment comes, the target is before you, and you sense the hand of the maker, the hand of the bowman, the hand of God prompting and sending you, that you will be the missionary who hits the mark, who brings the light of Christ to somebody who is in the darkness, who somebody who brings the love and the wholeness of God to a world that needs it. And so I end with words that Paul wrote of encouragement to the Thessalonians, and I believe it's encouragement for us as we go from this place as missionaries, a missional church. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts, encourage the hearts of the people of all souls, and strengthen you, Strengthen you, precious people, in your every good deed and your every word. Amen.